0: You're listening to the Murphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Murphology Podcast. I'm your host, Kathy, a.k.a. Murph, and I am here to give tips and information about group bicycling and bicycle touring with a focus on the Midwest and hopefully provide some entertainment for you as well. Well, with me today is Dave Eide. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm doing great. Good. Well, I'm glad to have you on the podcast, uh, a fellow Midwesterner, and we were just talking before we hit record that um, we're recording this at the end of October, and here in Iowa we'll be experiencing our first snowstorm tonight, so I'm kind of dreading but secretly a little excited at the same time.
1: Yeah, I'm mostly dreading winter, but uh, we can talk about that (laughs) later. Yeah. I I guess it hasn't killed us yet, right?
0: Exactly, yeah. And for some reason, I continue to live here. So it's my own fault for um, having to, you know, change bikes mid-season so that I have a fat bike to ride in the wintertime. But that's a, like you said, that's a different story. But why don't you start out by saying where you live and what the biking culture is like there?
1: Okay, I live in the northern suburbs of the Minneapolis metro area in a town called Blaine. Mm -hmm. Um, It's great for cycling. Um, You know, being in the suburbs, you know, I can be in the wide open in 15 minutes, you know, and it's pretty open in our neighborhood. There's a nice combination of uh, some paved trails, which uh, if I'm riding with my wife, she would prefer to go on those. Mm -hmm. Um, I prefer the open road, and in most places, there's a healthy shoulder, so even on a four-lane you know, major road, there's a shoulder, and I feel totally safe riding on it. So um, I got a lot of options. Um, you know, I can hop on my bike and, you know, go a number of different directions. And it's it's really nice. And I think nationally, Minneapolis has got some attention more for the urban cycling. And I've done a fair amount of that, too. So overall, I think the bike culture here is great.
0: Yeah. And I've heard, um, like you just mentioned, a lot of great things about, you know, Minneapolis itself, like down in the city, uh, how great the cycling is.
1: Yeah. Well, the the one thing that, um, you know, I went to the University of Minnesota and I lived in South Minneapolis for years. And then, uh, you know, before moving up here and, you know, I'd ridden on on a lot of those uh, trails and there's really great trails going around the lakes that probably everybody's heard about and up and down the Mississippi River. And um, in the last few years, the Greenway, which was a former railroad right away that, you know, went right through um, southern part of downtown Mm -hmm. is like geez that goes across town it's like a super highway and it's it's there's always people out riding on it it's pretty cool
0: nice it's definitely something i need to check out uh to take my bike
1: up there absolutely
0: yeah uh well how did you get into bicycling as an adult
1: okay well i uh grew up on a a dairy farm in a small town in wisconsin called ocano Mm. it's uh about half an hour away from Green Bay. So I'm a cheese head at heart. Uh, go Packers. I was just
0: going to say, are you a Packers fan too?
1: Oh, very much so. And they had a big win over Kansas City last night. So I'm still so pumped from that. Yeah. Anyway, um, I live in Minnesota, so I got to be careful. I'll cheer for the Vikings too, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> growing up in Wisconsin on a dairy farm, I mean, we lived like five miles out of town and there wasn't that much to do. Uh, we did have dirt bikes and we, you know, we always had stuff to keep busy, but when I was about, I think, 16, I bought my first, at that time it was called a 10-speed, mm-hmm. and I discovered cycling, and you know, I could ride around, and I'm I'm an introvert, I don't mind doing things by myself, so for me it was kind of a perfect combination, because I could get out, I could have some adventure, I could do it by myself, and it didn't cost a lot of money, so... I was hooked, you know, from my teens on.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I've done a couple of, like, um, group rides or sponsored rides in Wisconsin. And the thing I noticed uh, was it was really hard to find a gravel road. Like, even the uh, smaller towns in between them, they were still black-topped.
1: Right. And that's one of the things. Um, that goes way back. Uh, when I was riding, there were printed maps, you know, way before the Internet back in the late 70s early 80s mm-hmm. and wisconsin actually used to publish a set of maps that you could i think you got them for free from the department of tourism or whatever it was and all those county rows all named with letters like you know i grew up writing on county j a s y you know and every one of them is paved like you say and yeah. it's, i think a lot of it's the agriculture up there and farmers depended on those roads to get their stuff to market. And when I moved out to Minnesota, one of the interesting things is, man, you get out in the country and you're riding on gravel a lot. And mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of gravel, so mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate having so many options.
0: Yeah, I loved it. I loved the cycling when I was there. And the towns were so well-spaced apart.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if I may ask you, what what uh, rides did you do? Because I might have done the same one.
0: Uh, gosh, it was probably eight to 10 years ago, but it was called the AIDS Ride. And it was a, obviously a fundraiser, And uh, it was fully supported. It was three days long. And I think we did, uh, gosh, I'd say between 50 and 70 miles per day. And then they would set us all up. Uh, I think there was maybe 300 cyclists that did this. And they would put us in like school gyms. And so everybody would, you know, have their yoga mat or their uh, air mattress. So you wouldn't have to carry your gear during the day. But it was a really well-organized ride. Um, I don't know if it still exists.
1: I did a similar thing to that um, that maybe some of your listeners may be familiar with. I think it's called GRABAR or something like that. Mm. It's it's an acronym similar to RAGBRAI, uh, reg but it's something great r- right along the Wisconsin River. And it went from the northeast corner of Wisconsin up at Eagle River to the southwest corner to Prairie du Chien Ooh. in yeah. seven days. And that, um, and we can come back to that because that, that was one of the pivotal tours I did uh, three years ago that got me back into cycling in a big way.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a good one. Um, Well, that brings me to my next question. What is it that you enjoy about getting on your bicycle and riding it?
1: I think for me, every time I ride, I feel like I'm a kid again. There's a sense of adventure. You know, it's. you talk to some people, it seems like, geez, oh, oh, here's one of the common questions I get, and it just makes me laugh you know, I'm in some small town. Uh, Last time this happened, I was up in northern Minnesota in this little bar and it was the only place that was open. And I got a frozen pizza and a beer and I'm sitting around, you know, the counter talking to people. And one of the questions they always ask is, are you alone? Mm. And I say, yes, like, you know, aren't you afraid for your life is kind of what they're implying. And then the (laughs) second question a lot of them ask is, do you have a gun? Oh, and I'm like, what do I need a gun for? It's like, what if somebody comes to, you know, rob you? Or what if you see a bear or whatever? And I just kind of chuckle because people think it's so dangerous, you know, now riding out on the open road, whether you're on a bicycle or in a car is, you know, probably the most dangerous thing the average person will do. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but, you know, for me, the, the adventure more than makes up for it and camping. I've always loved camping. You know, when I'm loaded down and hitting the road just knowing that I've got everything with, with me and I'm self-contained. And if I don't have it, I can stop and get it or I can get help along the way. Mm-hmm. There's just that sense of adventure and travel that just really, you know, turns my crank.
0: Yeah, me too. And then knowing that, you know, you have everything you need, like you mentioned. So you could stop early. You could stop late. You could keep going. You could be whatever you want to do. You could go yep. have three frozen pizzas instead of one or three beers or three beers <laughs> instead of, <laughs> instead of yep. one. Um, So the reason that I uh, ended up contacting you about being on the podcast is because you recently did uh, what I thought, based on the photos, was a pretty cool solo tour, and I was hoping that you could spend some time uh, telling us about it.
1: Sure. Um, So first, I want to go back and uh, tell a little bit of the backstory from like five years ago. Yeah. So, you know, um, I got married in, in my early 30s, and we started having children right away, and... We rode with the kids and we used, we had three kids under three and I had two burly trailers and, you know, we pulled the kids everywhere. But, you know, in terms of touring and stuff, you know, the the, the ride was usually going to the park or something like that. And mm-hmm. maybe every once in a while we'd go on something longer. So I kind of put it all in mothballs. And then four years ago, I was turning 55 and my brother said, hey, there's this ride, that ride I, I referred to earlier, uh, Grabar. Mm hmm. And he said, you should do this with me. And I, you know, I kind of looked at myself in the mirror. It's like, you know what? I'm not getting any younger. If I don't do this now, you know, when am I going to do it? And I did. And I had the time of my life. Mm. And the first day was a 50-mile ride, but it had an optional 50 more for a century. And I had been training. I think that was the first year I did the MS-150. If anybody's familiar with the MS rides, Mm -hmm. that originally – started in Minnesota oh, okay and um, next year is gonna be the 40th anniversary of that ride and I'm, I'm planning on doing that but anyway I had so much fun on that and like you said we uh, you know you didn't have to carry your gear mm-hmm. and then you come to these small towns and you sleep in the high school gym or you could bring your tent whatever and I just had so much fun and I and I kind of vowed to myself you know what till the day I die I'm gonna keep doing this till I can't do it anymore yeah. so um, that fall, I did my first uh, fall ride. So my goal is now every year, and this is the third year in a row I did it, I want to do a week-long tour, historically somewhere, you know, close by in the Midwest where I'm not driving a lot. I average, you know, around 60 miles a day. And the very first one I did was I rode from Minneapolis to Madison, Wisconsin, where Mm -hmm. I have some family. Mm -hmm. My longest day was 72 miles. My shortest day was just sort of 50 And, I, you know, basically, um, if any people from this area are familiar with it, they call it the Great River Ride, I think, Mm -hmm. where you go down um, Highway 35 in Wisconsin down along the Mississippi River. And then you get down to near La Crosse, and then you cut east, and then you uh, – go on the Elroy-Sparta Trail, if any of your listeners oh, are yes. familiar with that. Yep. And I ended up in Madison. I just had the time in my life. And I was I was so spoiled because it was perfect weather, 80 and sunny every day. Oh, nice. You know, it was after Labor Day. I usually go the first or second week after Labor Day. So I kind of got, you know, the run of the place. And it was just so gorgeous. I had so much fun. So that was the first year. The next year, uh, last year, I w- went up and rode the uh, Misabi Trail up in northern Minnesota on the Iron Range between Virginia and um, Ely on the other side. Hmm. And I did that for, uh, I think that was a six-day ride. And then this year, I went uh, in northern Wisconsin. I rode over to Vilas County, which um, I was on the Internet one day, and this thing popped up on Facebook, I think, and it was a link to a, a thing called um, the Vilas County Trail, or Heart Heart of Vilas County, that's where it was. Hmm. Vilas County is in northern wisconsin near eagle river right on the upper michigan border and it's and they touted this um, paved trail system that they had you could ride across this the county of vilas and it was about 50 mile ride and they said they had an off-road trail the whole way so i i rode three days to get across wisconsin to get to it and on the fourth day i rode from the southeast corner of the county up to the northwest corner it was a gorgeous day the sun was out pretty much had the roads to myself and it was a really great day but the problem was then there was three days of wet rain in the 50s that came right after it and um, I'm not ashamed to say I bailed out yeah I called I called up my brother and he came and rescued me and I I didn't you know I'm on vacation I don't want to be miserable the whole time so right maybe I'm a fair weather cyclist but um, you know it was fun while it lasted
0: yeah. Um, and the scenery, you know, any, any place in the Midwest, I think, um, especially if you, like you mentioned, you've got some rivers in there. Um, it's gotta just be beautiful this time, ta- you know, the time of year that you were doing it.
1: Yeah. The only d- bummer was it was kind of dreary the first three days, you know, so it was a, wasn't as much fun as, it, you know, if it was sunny, of course, but, um, you know, a lot of woods up and down rolling Hills. The highlight was the, I think it was the first or the second day I'm out. I'm going down the highway and all of a sudden it looked like a, you know, a yearling bear runs across the road right in front of me, you know, (laughs) you know, 20 yards in front of me, this bear just barrels across the road. And then um, three days later, I'm uh, riding uh, on another uh, state highway in Wisconsin. And then um, this one was like a quarter mile up the road. I could see him going across, but it was a lot bigger and it was a lot slower. And I'm thinking, you know, if I had been like one minute, faster. Mm-hmm. I might have like been going down the trail by the time this thing was deciding to cross the road. Oh my it you know, worked out just fine but when I tell people like, oh, I saw you know two black bears out on the road then you know they're going to start asking me if I'm carrying my gun with Exactly me, you
0: know? <laughs> or at least some uh, bear mace or something. I guess right I guess you don't want to get close enough that you have to use mace that's you know in your hand. Yeah. No
1: thanks. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, what kind of places did you stay? Like, were you um, kind of stealth camping or park camping or did you find hotels along the
1: way? No. Well, so stealth camping is something that intrigues me, but I've never had the guts to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up, you know, camping in my own woods back behind our barn, you know, and doing that. But there's something about it. Like, if I don't have permission, I might not do it. But I do find myself looking off to the side of the road and thinking, No, that looks like nobody goes back there and I don't think I would bother anybody. You know, someday I want to do it. Um, It didn't work out on this trip, but typically what I do is I pull out Google Maps or whatever and I, I just start thinking, okay, well, here's where I'm starting. If I'm going around 50, 60 miles today, where's a place where I could, you know, find a place to camp? And in Wisconsin, man, you know, they've got county parks that are just killer for like, you know, 10, 15 bucks a night. They almost always have really nice hot showers. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lake. They may, may have a you know picnic pavilion. And um, I stayed at county parks uh, the whole way across. So I tour with a one-man tent, and um, I set up my tent every night, and you know, it worked out great.
0: And you mentioned um, the bear encounters, but any other crazy encounters, uh, whether it well, be— Well,
1: that, that okay. same day I think I saw the bear. I saw for the first time— three otters which i think were otters they went across the road like 20 feet in front of me and all three of them right across right across the road it's like i've never seen otters like that before yeah Uh, that same day i saw well in wisconsin it's not that rare to see um, flocks of wild turkeys i saw an eagle um, you know, there's always, you know, wildlife out there. Yeah. And when you see this
0: wildlife, what what sort of terrain are you on? Are you on actual bike trails or are you on like highways or roadways? No, this would
1: be a county it be a county or state highway. Oh,
0: okay. Okay. So
1: yeah. There's Yeah, the... right out in the open.
0: Yeah, god, that's crazy. Well, let's get into uh the kind of bike that you ride when you're doing your tours.
1: Okay, I'm a recumbent rider. I have a RANS uh Stratus XP, which is um The Rand Stratus is one of the oldest designs that were made, and the XP version of it, instead of, the traditional one had a 20-inch wheel in the front and a 26 or a 27 in the back. Mm -hmm. This one had dual 26s, so it rolls a little better, Mm -hmm. and um, I picked it up used a couple years ago at a good price. I do have a fairing on the front of it that helps cut the wind. I've been riding recumbents for about 20 years now, and I don't know how familiar your listeners are with recumbents, but there's several different styles. There's what they would call a long wheelbase, which is what my bike is. Um, It's quite long. Um, I do have a special rack that that carries it. Um, But I've also ridden and I've also made some of my own bikes. In fact, the first recumbent I ever made, the biggest thing about recumbents is they're just so damn expensive. Mm -hmm. So there was a a local recumbent club, and I got hooked up with one of those guys who had a brazing torch And we took some uh, 10-speed frames and cut them up and brazed them together. And I made my very first, my very Yeah, which was, and it's not, it's not that hard to do. Um, But it, it's a clone of, uh, in the industry is a bike made by the company Tour Easy. It was an easy racer. And uh, I rode that bike for years. And then I um, made myself a short wheelbase bike, which is basically the same wheelbase as a, you know, an upright bike. Mm -hmm. And then I actually bought one. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I ended up riding a long wheelbase bike, um, kind of by accident, and I found out, man, this thing is so comfortable. as long, as it's kind of got a natural suspension to it, you know, goes goes straight, you know, really well. And any of the little bumps you hit, you know, it handles them really well. So, I've been riding recumbents for a long time, and mm-hmm. I've tried to go back. Like I have a, you know, conventional comfort bike. I take the grandkids to the park on and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But if I'm going to go ride all day, I can't do that anymore. My my neck hurts, my shoulders hurt, mm-hmm. my hands go numb. Uh, I just find that it's not comfortable for me anymore.
0: And when I, um, you know, obviously, I'm sure everybody knows that a recumbent um, is a bicycle where you're actually sitting with, you know, you have a backrest or some sort of neckrest or something like that. But what I always think about when I see recumbent riders is how you can get <laughs> the strokes pedal strokes to help you get up hills it just seems like it'd be a different skill set in your muscles
1: yes very much so Mm -hmm. so one of the things that i like to tell people is you know if they hadn't seen a recumbent before it's like it's like a lawn chair on wheels so it really is it really is that comfortable the weight is off your your hands and if you you know have your bike set up right um when i'm at the end of the day you know i'm riding my 70 80 miles my, I'm, I'm tired. My muscles are tired, but I'm not structurally tired Mm -hmm. because I was uncomfortable in my position on Mm -hmm. the bike. So that's a big plus for me. Um, what was your original question again? Oh, when you're like going up Hills, like I feel like,
0: you know, I'm sometimes I can stand up and really give myself some, you know, extra oomph.
1: Yes. Now that in my mind, that's probably the biggest negative about recumbents because Your upper body does you absolutely no good. Mm. So you you can't pull on the handlebars and get leverage from your hands. You can't stand up and put your body weight, you know, on climbing up a hill. Um, And you can't get your butt up off the seat if you hit a bump. Yeah. So it's kind of tricky. So when I switched to a long wheelbase bike, the bumps on the road aren't that big of an issue anymore. But climbing is slower. Okay. So recumbents you know you go out and you look on the internet you'll find people that will you know debate this now if you're a super fit rider on what they call a high racer or a high performance recumbent there are guys out there that can stay with and go faster than club riders on their carbon bike Mm -hmm. so there are Mm -hmm. guys that can do it but for an average guy like me okay i'm 30 pounds overweight i'm reasonably fit but i'm not Crazy. If I hit any hill, I'm gonna go slower just because of the weight thing, okay? Mm-hmm. And then if I got 40 pounds of gear on my bike, I'm gonna go even slower. So what you do is you shift down and you spin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um I've got you know a really low gear. I think it's down in the I got a 20-inch low gear, mm-hmm. gear inch. So I'm in my granny a lot. When I'm touring, you know, my credo is when in doubt, shift down, yeah. shift down and spin. And you can put a lot of strain on your knees because you can push up against the back of your seat. But if you keep doing that, you could do some damage because there's nothing, you know, to take the weight off. Like on your regular bike, you can only push down as much as gravity will allow, right?
0: Sure, yeah. And I guess, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, like when I'm on my fully loaded touring bike, of course you're going to be using the granny gears a lot more than when I'm on my carbon Road bike with nothing more than a spare tube on it. So I guess it's all relevant to um, the actual bike that you're on.
1: Yeah. Now I make up for it on the downhills. Downhills are a total blast on a recumbent, (laughs) especially with my uh, with the fairing. fairing Yeah. A couple years ago, I set my personal speed record at 47 miles an hour. No way. And was on my that was on my old short wheelbase bike without a fairing. So. I'm kind of waiting for the next big hill uh, that I can really crank it up. And I think I'm going to go over 50 on it. So we'll see.
0: I hope your wife's not with you when you do that.
1: No, she would (laughs) never do it. Um, And I wouldn't do it if it was like a twisty road. Right. You know, I've got to be able to see, you know, where I'm going. And, you know, it's got to be in good shape and everything.
0: So when you're looking at your bike and you're doing your tour, um, give us just like a, a brief idea of, you know, where do the bags go on a recumbent? And how many do you have? That sort of thing. Sure.
1: So um, there's a company out of uh, Portland, I believe, TerraCycle, that makes aftermarket parts for bikes and particularly recumbents and trikes. And they make something called an underseat rack. So Mm. I bought one of their racks and I mounted it. So my center of gravity is very low. So I sit on my seat and with my feet you know, on the ground, my panniers are directly beneath me. So, okay. Uh, you know, I, I've ridden on uh, when I started touring, I was on a conventional bike. And I remember, you know, the first couple of days you get out there and you get your panniers on your back rack and your sleeping bag on the top rack. That was kind of in, in the day when low riders and front panniers were just kind of starting to be a thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember just feeling like, man, this bike handles so squirrely. Now, yes. You know, you got to be really careful. And when I'm on my recumbent, man, it handles pretty much the same. I feel the weight, but in terms of the handling and everything, it feels almost like I'm unloaded. So mm-hmm. that's a pretty big plus. Oh yeah. And that's... then, um, since, since, you know, my, my teens, actually, um, I grew up with, a, uh, four sisters and a mom that all knew how to sew. And so I learned how to sew. And so I've been making my own panniers and, uh, cycling shorts and stuff um over the years and i'm on my fifth generation so i made my own panniers mm. um, and they're big enough i made them the interior dimensions are 18 inches long so i could fit my tent in there without having to take the poles out wow, or anything Genius! very so smart. i got two bags and everything fits in there and then i have um i use one of those Helinox um lightweight cots it weighs two and a half pounds and you 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 get you off the ground that it gets down onto my back rack otherwise everything is either underneath my seat in my panniers and i do have a it's a seat that fits over the, your seat back and it's um it's curved and aerodynamic and i keep you know a bunch of stuff in there too so hmm. it, it looks really it's a really nice clean look nothing's hanging off the bike yeah and um, i can carry everything i need
0: uh any luxury items that you carry that maybe you shouldn't but you just do
1: over the years, I kind of have my list of all the stuff I bring. Now this year, I knew it was going to be colder, so I brought an extra layer of wool and mm. I brought a fleece top. You know, in the middle of summer, you don't need any of that stuff. Right. Um. But you know, I travel pretty lean, and I always make sure I have snacks with me. I don't. I guess that's not a luxury item, but you know, you got to have enough to hold you over in between towns. And, right. Um. But I, I'm fairly Spartan.
0: It's a good thing to be that way. I always, you know, you pack up all your junk in your bike and then you're like, okay, I got to take 10% of this out. I don't need, right? I don't need all of those extra layers. Like you said, you know, if it's summertime, you don't need three jackets. You just use yeah. one and use it over and over again. So,
1: right. And, and, and I know you're geared toward beginning tourists. Yeah. The most common thing that I would say beginners do is you bring way too much stuff. And that's true of whether you're backpacking or going on vacation or whatever, mm-hmm. It, it takes a while to figure that out, but when in doubt, leave it out, I yeah. guess is one thing you
0: could say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You should uh, put some uh, uh, copyright on that.
1: Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh,
0: well, you mentioned, you know, the tour you did with your brother, um, and then, of course, your solo tours. Have you been on other bike rides um, with the recumbent, tour? you know, in tour mode?
1: Yes. So, um, uh, I mentioned the MS-150. I've done that, I think, three times now, and... Um, Twice I did it with my wife. We have a recumbent tandem, believe it or not. Uh, Ranz makes a bike called the Screamer, which is about the same length as my uh, single bike. I'm the captain, and I sit kind of over the front wheel, and Mm -hmm. my cranks extend over beyond the front, and then my wife sits in the back, and more kind of the position of my single bike would be, and we've done that. We did that two times. You know, most of my riding is solo, so Mm -hmm. um, I, I will have a hard time finding somebody that Wants to go on a tour with me. Uh, like the last time I went out, one of my buddies, he came with me for half a day and rode to lunchtime. We had lunch together. Then he rode home. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm always open to riding with other people. It just doesn't work out. Yeah.
0: So when you're out on your own, do you have any must-see places or favorite places that, you know, maybe uh, people listening would be like, okay, I've got to go to Minnesota and see that or Wisconsin? or
1: Sure. Well, uh, uh, the Elroy-Sparta Trail is the oldest rails to trails in the whole country, yeah. which um, it, uh, it's got three tunnels on it, the longest of which I think is three quarters of a mile long. You can't see the other end of it when you go in, mm. so you better make sure you bring yourself Lights. you a know, flashlight. <laughs> um, but that's really cool. The only downer on that one is, is the, a crushed limestone surface. It's not mm-hmm. asphalt. So everything tends to get gritty, especially if it's wet at all.
0: Well, what advice would you give first timers trying out overnight biking?
1: I would say get out and do it. Yeah. Um, the the chance for adventure and trying something different should override any of the fears that you have. Or maybe you think, geez, I don't have the right amount of gear. I think I was reading on your website or you're just talking about, or maybe it was one of the other podcasts. It's like, don't fret over the gear. You know, if you don't have panniers yet, or if you don't have a, you know, super lightweight tent, whatever, use what you have. Um, And, and you might throw your stuff in a backpack, which I wouldn't recommend, but for your first time, if that gets you out there and doing it and trying it great, you know, and pick, pick a modest goal. I remember the first time I was a a student at UW uh, green Bay riding to my parents home it was like 25 miles away 25 miles was like i don't know if i'm going to be alive when i get there i thought it was such a big deal you know right right. and then i did it and i was like that wasn't a big deal you know but if i had said well i'm going to go on a 100 mile ride my first time or 50 miles even I got no concept of that. I would have probably gotten discouraged and quit, you know, so start small enough where it's still fun Mm -hmm. and and enough that it's a bit of a challenge, but not so much that it's going to, you know, demoralize you.
0: Yeah. And even from the small amount of time I've been talking with you, um, you have a really positive attitude. So like when you're out there on a solo trip, you kept commenting about, you know, it was just really fun and I got to see things and I could stop when I wanted to. So a lot of it is definitely attitude of, you know, like you said, your 25-mile route, you may not make it, but I bet you had fun doing it.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't do it like to impress anybody, but, you know, it, let's face it. If you come in, you know, to work on Monday morning, people said, well, what do you do this weekend? I said, oh, I i rode 50 miles and I camped in so-and-so and rode <laughs> back the next day. And, like, these people think you're doing some superhuman <laughs> right. effort, you know? It's <laughs> like I was out having the time of my life, Yeah. You know, and, it was great. Yeah.
0: Well, when you think of, um, you know, kind of back to beginner touring, do you have any do's or don'ts that come to mind?
1: If you don't know how to work on your bike, have it tuned up and make sure it's all in working order because you go out and start doing something like that and putting extra weight on it. You know, if your wheels aren't true or you, you don't have good tires or your gears don't work right, mm-hmm. that's not the time you want to find that out. Right. So make sure your your bike's ready to go and you know how to operate it. And that you know how to fix a flat if you get one. You know, I've been out and people, you know, get a flat tire and they've never changed it before. It's like, well, that kind of sucks to be you right now, but I'll help you, (laughs) you know, show you how to do it. You know, but you better better know how to do that basic stuff. And then that increases your confidence, too. Right. You're then you're not so worried about, you know, what if something happens?
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when you get out there on the trails, you don't always have a uh, phone service. So you can't just assume that you you can call a friend or, you know, find a bike shop close by. So right. the basics, you know, you can go to your local bike shop and ask them to show you how to change a tire or, you know, how to make sure there's enough oil on your chain or just little things like that.
1: Yeah. Well, in this day of the day of the, eight of the internet, everything's on YouTube, so, you know, if oh, you yeah. want to find it and you, you know, it's out there, you, you know, uh, one of the questions you had on your, your prep sheet that I wanted to, to do uh, to talk about was any, if we had any interesting mechanical situations oh, and yeah. I did. Yeah. And, and it was interesting. So two summers ago on the last day of my tour, um, I use clipless pedals. I use uh, Speedplay speed play frogs and they have a, a unique cleat that clips in. And I found out, Halfway through my morning, my left foot kept coming off the pedal, and it was just driving me nuts. And so finally I stopped and looked at it, and there's two little tabs on there that kind of hold it on, and one of them had worn through and broken off. So it was the last day of my tour. I had maybe 25 miles to go. It wasn't a big deal. You know, I just put my foot on the pedal, and and I made it. You know, it was okay. Well, this year, so I went home, and I bought a new pair of cleats, put them on. Everything's great. Well, this year I'm on my second day out, or it was my third day, and my right foot starts coming off the pedal, oh. and I'm you know doing a fair amount of up and down climbing, and you know I use my I pull on my pedals a lot, and so it was really starting to drive me nuts, and I I thought oh no I know what this is my cleat's going bad, and here I am out in the middle of nowhere, what am I going to do? So the cool thing was, I was uh, riding into Monacoa, Wisconsin that day, which is you know, a, a tourist hub up in um, Vilas County, right on the edge of it. And they just happened to have a bike shop in town <sighs> who just happened to carry a, a pair of uh, speed play cleats that the exact ones that I needed. So the owner wasn't even open that day. I happened to catch him while he was in the shop. He said, yeah, come on down. I went down there. He gave me the, the, an Allen wrench and helped me put the cleats on. And I sat and talked with him for a little while. It's like, my whole tour was saved, you know, yeah. it would have been really terrible. So now the lesson learned is I'm going to buy myself a, a pair of spare cleats Some and I'm going to keep keep in my night kit and then, and then hopefully that'll never happen again and I'll be ready for it.
0: Yeah, it kind of always ends up that way when you have a mechanical issue and you go through, you know, a tough time with it, you definitely fix it so it doesn't happen again. And like you said, you know, having a spare set or like I now um, duct tape a couple spokes into my there you go. back uh, back rack. So yep. I don't even know they're there. But if something happens with one of the spokes, at least I can, you know, grab one quick.
1: And yeah, well, that's not easy. But at least it would get you home, right? Exactly or to the next town. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, do you have any uh, bicycling adventures on your horizon, or maybe set up for next year?
1: I'm a part of Adventure Cycling Association, oh, so yeah. I get there. Uh, I get there. You know, bi monthly magazines, and you read these stories of people that are, you know, they they sold everything and they're cycling around the world. You know, in their fifth year, or whatever. And I don't know if I'll ever do something like that. But the one thing I've always said I wanted to do, and I'm not sure if I'll make it happen or not, is I wanted to do a transcontinental ride. Mm. So um, that's kind of always in the back of my mind. And maybe that'll be, you know, when I retire. But I've I've talked to a number of people that say, you know, they were maybe right out of college and they went and, you know, rode across the country. And they said, there's two kinds of people you see. You'll see, you know, college students and you see retirees Mm. because they they got they got time. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, you could do it in two or three months, you know, which wouldn't be terrible, even with, you know, regular vacation time and maybe a little time off. So um, that's something I'd like to do. Until then, though, uh, my average ride is a 20, 25 mile ride around my neighborhood somewhere. I get home from work and hop on my bike try to do something longer on the weekend when I can and you know at least sometime over the summer I want to do at least a you know a week long tour. Yeah. And I'm I'm a happy camper. Yeah,
0: I was going to say even those 20 milers uh sometimes you know the scenery and just seeing people and being on your bike and now it's you know the leaves are falling and uh it's just one of the best times to be on your bike.
1: Yeah. So unfortunately, now it's getting pretty cold last, not last week and the weekend before. It was really nice. And I got out and got a 30 miler in. Right now, you know, the bike's back in the shed. And I don't know if I'll get it out again, because now, you know, it's getting cold. But Mm -hmm. we'll see. Maybe we'll get a nice weekend.
0: Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, It was really nice getting to know you and hearing about your uh, solo tour. And I hope that you continue that trend of doing one each year.
1: Yeah, I uh, Lord willing, if yeah. the body holds up, I want to be out there doing it.
0: That's right. Well, thanks, Dave. Thank you. Well, how about a touring tip? Let's talk simple bike adjustments to make your bicycle tour even more enjoyable. So first up is saddle adjustment. When you ride your bike, your hips should stay level as you pedal. Have a friend ride behind you and if they notice your hips swivel back and forth as you ride at an easy pace, your saddle is probably too high. Even if you're not feeling pain with this extra movement in your hips, you're working harder than you need to. Make small adjustments to your saddle height until your hips are level as you pedal. Knee pain can also occur because of saddle height. If your pain is in the front or inner part of your knee, your seat may be too low. If the pain is on the outside of your knee, the seat may be too high. It can take multiple small adjustments to get it right, so don't give up. And speaking of knee pain, another simple adjustment you can make to avoid knee issues is to keep your cadence at 70 to 90 RPMs. If you're in too hard of a gear, your cadence will be much slower and your knees will suffer. So how about numbness in your hands? When I ride a long time, I sometimes get numbness in my pinky fingers. There are many causes for numbness in the hands. A simple bike adjustment that can help is to adjust the angle of your shifters or brakes. This simple adjustment will change your riding position just enough to possibly help alleviate numbness, especially if you're always hovering over your brakes or shifters. Oh, back to your saddle, making slight adjustments to the angle of your saddle can change how your weight sits on your bicycle, which affects your wrist and hands. I find if I shift my body position back on the saddle, I do notice a difference in my hands. Another easy fix is to double wrap your bars with good bar tape. It helps reduce road vibrations on your hands. And while you're at it, buy a pair of cycling specific gloves to help further absorb bumps on the road. A side note here, be sure to wash those gloves regularly because they can get really gross really quickly. A few adjustments you can make to your riding style would be to loosen up on the handlebars. There's no need to white knuckle while pedaling on easy flat terrain. Also, move those hands around to different positions on the handlebars. Try not to spend too much time in one position. I give my hands a good shake every once in a while when they start to feel tingly. Neck pain is a pretty common complaint from cyclists, and most neck pain is from sitting in an awkward position for a long period of time, kind of like when you fall asleep at a weird angle while watching TV on the couch and definitely suffer the next day. If you think about it, when you're on your bike, your head is tipped upward and it's supporting the extra weight of your helmet. So first, make sure your helmet fits properly. An ill-fitted helmet can create additional neck discomfort and stiffness. On your bike, there are many, many adjustments you can make to help your neck feel better. Once again, seat height plays a factor, uh, but also handlebar height. You can easily have a bike shop adjust your handlebars to be higher and easier on your body. Also, small adjustments to your pedals and cleats can make a huge difference. Your goal is to put your entire spine in a good position. So check your form, pull your belly in, make your torso long, and keep your chest lifted slightly. Also keep your chin tucked in. Keeping your core fit will help tremendously. The stronger you are, the easier it will be to keep your body in alignment. So to sum it up, there are hundreds of adjustments you can make to your bike to help you enjoy your ride. Experiment on your own with small changes, or better yet, go to your local bike shop and consult with an expert. You know the more comfortable you are on your bike, the more you will want to ride. That's this week's tip. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Check out morphologypodcast.com to find all kinds of great info and email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate your time today, and thanks for tuning in to listen to the Morphology Podcast. I leave you with this quote from the Unwritten Book of Morphology. This quote comes from Steve Jobs. The people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Think about it.